Hello, and welcome to the weekly worship podcast for Fuquay Arena, United Methodist Church. We think it's important, not just that you listen today, but we would invite you to worship with us today. If you'd like to further engage your faith or the community around you and like to partner with us, uh, please visit our website, fvumc.org, for more information. Also, we'd love to hang out with you on a Sunday morning, whether that's live, online, or in person. Online on Sunday mornings on our website or Facebook page or YouTube channel, you can enjoy the venue with us, which is a worship service crafted for community online, or you can join our live in-person services online at 1010 for our contemporary, 1115 for our traditional. If you'd like to worship in person with us, we have worship at 9 o'clock and 1010 for our contemporary worship services and 1115 for our traditional worship. At the end of the day, we believe that when and where you worship is not nearly as important as that you worship. And so we're so glad to be with you today, worshiping together. Well, hey, everybody, it's great to be together with you today. Uh, We're in our third week of a series called A Place at the Table. Um, I would encourage you to go back and check out either the podcast messages from the past two weeks, or uh, you can go back and worship with us from the past two weeks to get some backstory on where we are today. I'm not going to spend a lot of time uh, bringing us up to date uh, because we've got a lot to cover today, but um, I think, you know, holding the whole conversation together could be really beneficial, helpful for you um, in your own journey of faith, your own understanding. And so uh, I'd encourage you to to go back and check those out. We've been exploring last week, this week, and next week, we'll look again um, at what we think we mean by grace, right? The grace of God, what it is, what it does, how we experience it. And... um, We're doing that because uh, one of the points that we're kind of working through in our series right now is uh, that we believe that there is a place at the table for you, right? Uh, Regardless of who you are or what you've done, that there is a place at the table of God in this age and in the age to come, not because of who you are and what you've done, but because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Through the grace of Jesus, there's a place at God's table that gives you belonging, status, identity, purpose, direction, all these beautiful things. Um, and we're trying to understand. We're trying to understand what that means. Uh, so we've been talking about grace. We're going to be in the same passage of Scripture this week and next week that we were in last week. Uh, last week, we said that grace is the unearned love of God for us. That's kind of our operating definition. And we separated out grace and mercy, which are two different things, often uh, kind of together like peanut butter and chocolate. Uh, Grace is when you don't get something, or when you do get something that you don't deserve. And mercy is when you don't get something that you do deserve, like a punishment or a crime or a fine or something like that. And we always see grace and mercy at work together, and we certainly see that um, here. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about kind of the second expression of grace that we tend to experience. The first is the grace that comes before Um, this is the grace of God at work in our lives. A lot of times we don't even recognize that it's at work because we're not anticipating it. We're not looking for it. Uh, This is the grace that begins our desire to be in a relationship with God, begins our desire to want to be a part of doing good things in the world around us. Um, The second expression of grace is the grace that pardons us, right? This is the grace that set things to the right, fresh start, Uh, begins the work of God's new creation in our lives. And then the third expression, which we'll talk about next week, is the grace that perfects us. This is the grace that uh, makes us new, that helps us mature and grow, that transforms us from the inside out uh, until our hearts are so full of love that there's no room in them for anything else. Uh, But today I want to look at the second expression uh, of grace, right? And Paul talks about it. Uh, He says, through grace you have been saved. And that's the phrase we'll be in today. Here's the whole section again. He says, when you were still dead through your trespasses and sins and what you once lived. That'll be an important line for us to pay attention to. Following the course of this air, following the ruler of the power of the air, um, the spirit that's now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh. Following the desires of our flesh and our senses, we were by nature 
children of wrath, like everybody else. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love, out of the grace with which God loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses and sins, made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, he says. He's going to come back to that. And raises us up to seats us with Jesus in the heavenly places. So that in the ages to come, he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And then he comes back to that point. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. This is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand to be our way of life. By grace, you have been saved. Through faith. By grace, you have been saved. Let's just look at that line uh, to begin with. Um, when we talk about this exp- expression, this experience of grace, um, it's a pardoning grace. A lot of times we use some, some sort of fancy theological terms for it. Uh, one of those is the word justify. This is a justifying grace. Justified just means a pardoning. Uh, I always remember it this way. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned, right? It kind of begins the work of setting us right with God in relationship with God and with each other. Uh, the other word that sometimes we use is the word atonement. At one meant is my trick there. Uh, it puts us at one with God, at one with those who are around us. It makes us uh, at one, unifies us, reconciles us together. The grace of God at work in our life does these things, does these things. This word saved is an interesting one. Uh, it implies that there is something from which we have to be saved. Paul lays those things out here as our trespasses and sins. I want to talk about sin, um, our experience of sin, what it is, what it does, the consequences of it in our lives, and what we think we mean when we say that Jesus saved us from it. We're going to spend some time uh, doing that uh, right now. Sin is one of those words that comes with a lot of baggage in our culture. Uh, I want to name that. Um, Typically, I think our problem is with uh, what I think of as the two-syllable version of sin, sin. Uh, And uh, that's sin that gets defined narrowly. Uh, by different cultures. Even if you travel across the great state of North Carolina, uh, sin will be defined differently in each community. I want to look at capital S sin, right? Sin in its most formal form. And then lowercase s sin or sins that uh, are the ways that we participate in sort of the the formal version of sin. Here's what I mean when I say this. And I kind of talked about this a little bit in the previous two weeks. Um, When God created the world, God didn't just create the world to look a particular way. But God created the world to work together in a particular way. Everything in the world working for the benefit of everything else, like a a well-oiled machine, right? Things were kind of humming along. The old rabbis called this state of being shalom, right? Which we translate as peace. But it's more than peace that's just the absence of violence. It's peace that's harmony and flourishing. It's everything working together like it should. Uh, In fact, God steps back and says that uh, in Genesis, after God looked at everything that God had made, God called it tov. He said it's very good. God says it's very good. Um, And tov means good, uh, but it means good like with this connotation of everything as it should be, as it should be. And we've been talking about how when we tried to reorder the world in a way that benefited us more, we broke it. And so now instead of shalom, things humming along together like they should, uh, the world kind of clicks and clacks against itself. It's broken. The the entrance of that into the world uh, is what we call sin in its formal form, like capital S sin. Sin was like a a sickness that began to infest and infect, like a plague in the world um, that made everything in the world not work like it was supposed to be. It's, It's not a thing in and of itself, like sometimes we think of sin as an action, right, or an act, and we'll come to that in just a second, but but at its root, in its formal form, capital S sin, sin is is kind of 
the privation of good. It's taking things that God intended for one purpose and using them in another. So, so sin is like a, a pollution of the good. Um, sin is uh, like evil masquerading as good. It takes something that was good, it uses it for a wrong purpose, and when it does, it breaks it. It's a distortion, a perversion, a, a disintegration of the good. The side effects of that for us are death, right? And when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, Paul says, uh, not just death, like physical death, spiritual death, those things are true. But I also like to use the term deathiness. Like it's all the things that work in our lives that just feel like death, that are contributing to that feeling of deathiness in our lives, right? It's the hurt and harm that we cause others. It's the hurt and harm that they cause us. It's the ways in which we push ourselves further away from God and further away from those who are around us. And we believe that when we say that Jesus... Um, that through Jesus we were saved by grace. We believe that that is God's work kind of working in the opposite direction of that. Now, sin is not just cosmic in its formal form. Sin is also personal, right? Um, we participate in it. Sometimes, even when we're trying not to participate in it, we just make it worse, right? Uh, I said last week, it's like me trying to fix something that's plumbing. I try to fix a plumbing, pro a plumbing problem. Instead of making it better, I have more plumbing, plumbing problems to fix now, right? And, and when we do that, like we just kind of, by the reality of the world and the space in which we live, we are participating in the brokenness of the world. Our actions, our attitudes um, are, are lowercase s, and it's us participating and this kind of cosmic brokenness that exists. So when God comes to offer salvation to us, God's got to save us both cosmically, like salvation is both cosmic and salvation is, is individual, right? It's personal. And what we see in the person of Jesus is that God has chosen to deal with this problem that is far too great, far too big for any of us to actually deal with under our own power. It's like a God-sized problem that has to be dealt with, but it's our problem, right? We did it. Like we're the ones that are participating in this and we are the ones that are culpable in it. And so God in Jesus, so we just told the Christmas story, God takes on flesh becomes like us in every way. God gets God's hands dirty, like gets down on the inside of creation, down on the inside of the story, down on the inside of us to root out not just the symptoms of the sickness, but to deal with the sickness itself, to deal with the cause, not just the consequences of sin. And that's what we believe that Jesus was doing. That's what we believe Paul means when, when he says we are saved by grace through faith. Now, lots of us experience this in lots of different ways. I'll be honest with you, when I came out of divinity school, out of seminary, uh, I thought my number one job was going to be to convict people of their sin, right? To like point it out, to call it out in their lives, uh, and then to, to tell them that they needed to be saved. Um, in fact, at a time in our nation's history, the Second Great Awakening, um, there was like a big spiritual revival across uh, across the new world at the time. Um, and uh, there were like two people would preach every week. One person would teach, and then the other person was called the exhorter. And the exhorter's job was to listen to the teacher and then to go like call people out. Like, you heard what he said, Dave. No, we're talking about you. My apologies to all the Daves in the room. Like to call people out for not doing the thing that the Bible said that they ought to do, right? I thought, yeah, well, that's probably what I spent most of my time doing. And I, uh, I was wrong. I was wrong. What I discovered very quickly is that most of us, like we are well acquainted with our sin, right? We see it. We live it. We experience the pain, the deathiness of the brokenness at work in our lives, uh, the hurt and the harm that we cause others, the hurt and the harm that they call, cause us, the fracturedness in our marriages, in our family relationships, in our communities, the brokenness that just sort of swirls around us that seems out of our control. And, and what I found is that people would say, well, like, this is just what it means to be human, right? This is just the way it has to be. 
my job became not to convict people of their sin, but to convict people of their salvation, right? This is absolutely not the way it has to be. In fact, it's not just that this isn't what God has intended for you or intended for our creation, but God's actually done something about it. God has actually set us free from having to live this way. That's the promise that we have in Jesus, right? Now, the Bible talks about that saving work in so many different ways. And and over the course of the generations uh, in the church last 2,000 years, the church has talked about it in lots of different ways. Sometimes today, I feel like the church takes a really narrow look at what we think we mean when we say saved or salvation, what Jesus did for us. I want to broaden that conversation out to like the multitude of ways that the Bible talks about it, because I think in it, hopefully all of us can recognize the consequences, like how that sin feels at work in our lives, whether it's capital S sin or whether it's the ways in which we become culpable in uh, the kind of the brokenness of the world around us. Um, So I'd like to lay some of those out for us really briefly, and I got a lot of ground to cover, so I'm going to go kind of quickly by just grouping them all together. The first kind of group, um, I think, really relies on the story of Jesus's resurrection and and says that um, in Jesus's resurrection, Jesus was conquering the forces of wickedness and evil was like breaking the power and the hold that they had over us. Uh, Sometimes um, this is like hostage language that Jesus paid the ransom so that we hostages of evil could be set free, you know, personified Satan. That in his death, Jesus descended into hell. And in his resurrection, Jesus broke the gates of hell, took the keys, right? So that no longer can those gates be locked. We're free. We're no longer held prisoner uh, by sin, by death or deathiness in our lives, uh, even when we've been bound up and captives. Or uh, slavery language gets used here a lot, that Jesus has purchased us out of slavery. That's what the word redeemed literally means, to be bought out of slavery. That price has been printed price has been paid so that now we can be free. Uh, And this is kind of one expression or understanding of of sin that like captures, holds us captivity, that evil is at work and we can't get out of it and that Jesus has broke those bonds. The second uh, talks really more in terms of like a legal transaction. And I think that this is one that many of us are familiar with in kind of a cultural way. And this one focuses really specifically on the cross, less the resurrection, less Jesus's life, and more just on the work that Jesus did on the cross. Um, this one is uh, uses language around guilt and shame, that we were guilty for our sin, uh, that we needed to be punished for it, but that uh, Jesus has lifted that burden for us, that Jesus has paid the price that we owed, that Jesus has been sacrificed in our place, like taking on the death that we deserved. Uh, He died the death that was intended for us. He laid down his life for us um, so that we can be reconciled to God. This pulls on like sacrificial language, a lot of sacrificial language from uh, from the Old Testament. Uh, The third group um, sort of frames it up in the context of obedience, that in our disobedience, we have dishonored God and we have to restore honor to God. A lot of good uh, like medieval language uh, at work in this one. This one uh, really talks about the life of Jesus uh, and helps us understand the death of Jesus was just how Jesus lived for this like perfect faithfulness, this perfect obedience to the will of God, this perfect love, uh, perfect grace for all of humanity. Uh, And in this like We are wandering aimlessly. We are wallowing in our own sin. We have no point. We have no purpose. We have no direction. Even if we did, we wouldn't know how to do it. But that it's in the the perfect faithfulness of Jesus that we have this example of a real life human that we can now follow, that can show us the pathway out of our brokenness, out of our sin uh, through the grace of Jesus. We've got something that we can copy and emulate. And then the final category, I'll say, uh, is one that uses language about restoring the image of God in us. 
uh, in effect, that God created us in the image of God uh, to perfectly reflect the love of God out into the world, but that like a mirror with mud smeared all over it, the image of God in us has been distorted. We are not who we have been created to be, and that uh, God has like given us the possibility through this grace uh, for that mud to be cleansed off of us, right? So that we can reflect the love of God into the world again, so that we can kind of embody, we can have the, the image of God, the imago dei is sometimes what we call it, uh, can reside fully in us again and uh, and it can be seen. That we can take off the old self with all of its habits and practices and we can be clothed in the new self. We can be the people that God has created and is calling us to be. All of this is language that the Bible uses to talk about what Jesus has done. Uh, it always frustrates me when we pick one of these because I think to some degree they're all so important for all of us because all of us experience the brokenness of our sin and in so many unique and varied ways. But I think that all of this different language just gives all of us access. All of it is what Jesus has done for all of us. Uh, but sometimes some of it, I think, kind of lands differently with, uh, with each of us, with each of us. And I want to point out something that John Wesley, who was the founder of Methodism, pointed out in a sermon called The Scriptural Way of Salvation that he preached on this very passage. He said, he wants us to understand that salvation is not simply a promise for some future reality in an age to come. I mean, yes. And what Paul says here is, ye have been saved, right? That's his language. You have been saved. It's not you will be, but you have been. You have been saved. This promise of God, this work of God in Jesus Christ, uh, taking care of something that we ourselves are too powerless uh, to deal with, but something that's ours to deal with, that God has done this work for us. We are saved. This work can be effective in our lives today. It's not just a future promise, but it can be a present reality for all of us. When we um, do our membership vows, this, the, the first question we ask is, do you renounce, reject, and repent of your sin, right? Do you not want to be a part of that? The second question we ask is, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, oppression, and whatever forms they present themselves? Like we believe that God not only forgives us of our sin in this moment, but that God has dealt with the sin so that it no longer has to hold us in the way it's held us before. Right, the uh, oh, four thousand tongues to sing. One of my favorite hymns says, "He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood has made the foulest clean. His blood availed for me." We we hear all of that language at work in this one stanza. Right, it's not just that we've been forgiven that the sin has been canceled, but God breaks the power of canceled sin over us. So I don't know how it lands with you. I don't know what of this language most resonates with you. Whether you feel bound up, captive, enslaved, imprisoned, held hostage. By sin, a lot of times people that are in addiction, like these are, this is language that really resonates with them. I don't know if you feel guilty, if you're carrying around shame, if you're burdened and you can't let go of hurt that's caused, that you've caused others or hurt that's been caused to you. I don't know whether you're feeling like you're wandering or lost or wallowing in your own brokenness or hopelessly stewing in your own sin or whether you're, uh, you are confident that you are not who you were called to be or created to be. You just don't know what that looks like. This grace is offered to you. You have been saved. Like this grace is offered to you in the work of Jesus Christ. It's already been done. Last week when we wrapped up our sermon, we talked about how it's like a gift that God has already purchased. It's got your name on it. It's under a tree and all you have to do is unwrap it. But you do have to unwrap it. And Paul says here, all that is done through faith. When we stop relying on our own self to will ourselves to perfection, to fix it under our own power, to just be smart enough to figure out how to get through it, obedient enough to the will of God so that we can work our way into salvation. He says that this is not how we do it. We do it through faith. faith our faith in 
Jesus's faithfulness, like our faith and the work that God has done for us. When we put our trust and our faith, when we truly believe that this is what God has done for us, it begins to do the work of like remaking and renewing us. And we'll get to that next week. But that work begins and it can begin today for you. But that's a choice that we have to make to stop relying on our own power and to start putting our trust in God. And so I want to encourage you today to offer as much as you understand of yourself to as much as you understand of God. And we can do that work every single day because hopefully tomorrow we know more about ourselves and we know more about God as God continues to work in our life. What would it look like for you today through faith to trust in God to deal with this thing that you can't deal with on your own? To stop trying out of the futility of your own efforts and action uh, to, to you know rise above and to push yourself through it and trusting that God's already done that work for you that you can be saved by grace through faith. Blessings on you as you journey uh, through your life of grace. And if there's ever any way we can journey with you, uh, certainly we would love to do that. And we'd invite you to come back and hang out with us next week as we talk about what this looks like to be lived out in our lives every single day of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.
Again, it's been great to worship together with you today. If you would like to engage your faith or the community around you, we'd love to partner with you in that. You can visit our website, fvumc.org, to find out more information on what that looks like or to reach out to us. I'd like to extend another invitation for you to come and join us online or in person on Sunday mornings live. Uh, And while you're on our website, uh, again, if this is a regular place that you find spiritual sustenance, we'd love to partner with you as we serve our community here in the greater Fuquay Varina area. Um, fvumc.org slash give would help you uh, join with us in all of the wonderful work that happens in and through this family of faith here at Fuquay Varina United Methodist Church. It's been great to worship together with you, and we look forward to doing it again soon.